In this episode, we have a deep conversation about fortitude, courage, and bouncing back from the darkness. These elements are key components of the warrior archetype and are forged and strengthened by pushing ourselves beyond our comfort zone. Today, we welcome a very special guest who is no stranger to operating outside his comfort zone. World-renowned former ATF special agent Jay Dobbins has been to hell and back. He has lived among the most violent criminals this country has ever seen, the Hells Angels. Jay achieved worldwide notoriety as one of history's most daring undercover operators. Check this out. This motivational and deep conversation will change the way you view life. Stand by. Welcome to the Man of War podcast, where we forge men into warriors and get them battle ready for the game of life. Learn warrior hacks that strengthen your mindset, self-confidence, courage, and personal protection skills. Unlock a life that embodies a warrior spirit for dynamic success in life and in business. If you're joining us for the first time, you're tuning in to the one and only podcast that empowers you to achieve greatness by living the warrior lifestyle. Each show, we interview elite men from around the globe and delve deep into their mindset and daily rituals, uncovering their secrets to success. I'm Rafa Conde, founder and creator of the Man of War Movement. Join me on this life-altering journey where we recharge your mind, body, and spirit. Rise the night, my brothers. Just a quick order of business here. WarDev, the Warrior Development Program, is live and in full effect. Basically, what it's going to do for you, it's going to set you up with step-by-step -step instruction to transform you from a man to a modern-day warrior. Check it out at warriorbreed.co. Right now, this program is a soft launch for my podcast tribe. That is why I'm able to offer it to you at under 20 bucks, $19.99 for your first month. Every month, you're going to get full access to the War Room, which includes two virtual lessons via video, manuals for all training lessons, a webinar, Q&A sessions, special podcast, and most importantly, I'm going to give you the key to unlock the closed-door network group of warrior-minded men just like yourself. All this with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit us at warriorbreed.co. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Please don't forget to visit us at manofwar.live and check us out on social media at Man of War Podcast. Guys, get ready for a very deep show here. Make sure you take notes. Let's get right into it. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome, man. I really appreciate your time coming on board. I know that you're busy. Hey, can you introduce yourself to our fans? I'm sure a lot of them know you for sure, but uh, some might just be new to you. Sure. My name is Jay Dobbins. I'm a retired ATF agent. I worked for ATF for 27 years. Um, I wrote a book that became a New York Times bestseller named No Angel. And I have a follow-up book that just came out called Catching Hell. Well, I'll tell you right off the bat that the book No Angel was a very motivational book for me especially throughout the years in narcotics. I mean, I must have read that book three, four, five times, and I recommended it to numerous agents. Now, let me ask you something. How did you get the motivation and the drive to write that book and to open up the way that you did? Because it goes way deeper than just being an undercover agent. You know, it's, uh, it was kind of a uh, circuitous path to that. I had become involved in Hollywood because some producers and directors and actors wanted to turn my infiltration story into a film. In the process of consulting on that film, I met some writers and I had years, I mean, cardboard boxes full of notes and reports and handwritten notes and things scribbled on bar napkins. And I thought this could be assembled into a book, into a story that people, you know, in our world, uh, my peers might find interesting. And that just developed from there. Um, I, I assembled the story. I wrote the story. I had uh, a friend and associate come in and help me craft it, a professional writer that helped me massage the story. And, you know, I put it out there mainly for, for us, for our community, to tell a story. 
an honest story, one that uh, didn't pull punches. It, it's not a hero story. It's not a glory story. Um, it's not an I Love Me book. It's a very honest assessment of what I went through during a window in time, a period of time, uh, like kind of as a case study. And what surprised me is that after the book was out for three weeks, it was on the New York Times bestsellers. I was a novice writer. I'm not a professional writer. And what really amazed me is that it touched people outside our world. It touched people outside the law enforcement community with some of the stories and some of the uh, events that took place. Now I get messages from housewives and from doctors and from mechanics and from kids who are saying, you know what, I'm not a true crime fan. I am not necessarily a fan of even the police. I'm not a fan of the biker world, but I love this chapter and this is why. And uh, that was very touching, very heartwarming for me to know that I ultimately reached an audience beyond who I had targeted. That's phenomenal. That is uh, very deep. Let me ask you something. Before you got into the uh, Hells Angels and into that, I mean, were you already in, in, into biking or was that a transformation that occurred in your life specific to this undercover assignment? Well, you know, the Hells Angels infiltration was brought to me uh, by the case agent who said, I'd like you to head up this undercover team. And to be quite honest with you, my initial response was, I can name 10 guys off the top of my head and I can find 50 people who would probably be better in this role than I would be for you. Um, I wasn't a biker investigator. I'm not a biker investigator. I'm not an expert motorcycle rider. I wasn't uh, necessarily all that familiar or comfortable with uh, that culture. And the case agent was basically like, you're the guy I want. I was the right guy at the right time, at the right place. Um, through some other undercover assignments, I had a reputation established in the criminal community as a gun runner and a debt collector and a hitman. And he felt that based on that background and my ex previous or prior acceptance into the criminal community that we'd be operating in, um, I was ahead of the game. And so um, I've said this many times, I'm not the best undercover operator out there. I'm definitely not the bravest or most courageous. I'm not the smartest guy out there. Um, but I've always been willing. I, I think that probably if there's one personality trait, if there's one character trait about me that benefited me professionally is that I've always been willing to try. Um, I was always willing to raise my hand and take a crack at cases or investigations that other people were passing on for whatever their personal reason was. I was always willing to say, I will try. I don't know if I can be successful. I don't know if I'll be any good, but I will work my ass off for you to do my best. That's a, a very strong mindset to, to have. It's a very driven type mindset, which, uh, you know, you would take whatever comes your way and you would give it 110%. And that's awesome. So, when that case was brought to you, I mean, at that point, how long were you already an agent for? I'd already been an agent for 15 years. I'd spent nearly the entire 15 years working in undercover assignments. So, although I wasn't the perfect candidate for the role, I had a ton of uh, tradecraft experience and street experience and street knowledge and prior be quite honest with you, the Hells Angels infiltration, it's not my favorite case. It's not my best case. It's not the best work I ever did. I think what made it appealing and what brought attention to it was not so much what I did. It was who it was done on. The Hells Angels made that case sexy and interesting and opened the public's eyes to it. Um, but, but it's, it wasn't my best work by any means. Oh, I agree. Some of my best cases never had the notoriety as my high profile cases. I mean, I had cases that, um, you know, went to CNN and local news and made it, you know, all over the newspaper. But the bottom line is that I had cases that were not nearly 
as high profile, but I really felt that I did a great job. And those cases are not out there uh, for the public to see. So I, I'm with you 100% on that. You know, some of the best work I did, some of my um, things that I'm proudest of got the least amount of attention. Some of the things that I did that probably made the greatest impact got the least amount of at least media or public attention. And that's, you know, like I don't... Exposed or not this exposed, we just go out and try to do the best we can in whatever environment we're placed in. And like I said, um, what made No Angel successful as a book, what brought the public's attention to the Hells Angels infiltration was the Hells Angels. They're Americana. They're part of, you know, the crime and punishment history of this country. And people recognize they acknowledge the name. They're known as the kings of the mountain. Um, if you ask the common man, when you think of a biker, what do you think of? They think of the Hells Angels. And that's what made it. That's what made it interesting. Awesome. I mean, that's uh, certainly the outside world sometimes just doesn't understand that, you know, that might have been one of your cases. And, you know, but you've done probably hundreds of cases out there that maybe took even more effort, more determination. And, and uh, but this is what made it out there. So let's talk a little bit about your mindset going into this. So they said, hey, you know what, Jay, you're going to be or you see here, you're going to infiltrate. And at that point, what was your mindset like? I mean, were you like, you know, like, Hey, let's do this. I'm going to give it 110%, like you said earlier. But at one point, I'm thinking you're you're like, man, this is kind of different. You're you're asking me to you know go in deep here. Well, you know what? For anybody in our job, and I don't care if you're uh, the beat cop out there in a uniform. I don't care if you're an executive that sits behind the desk and calls shots. I think that comfort and confidence go hand in hand. I don't know which one comes first or which one comes after. I don't know if uh, we're comfortable in our assignments because we're confident in ourselves or if we're confident in that we can accomplish the mission because we're comfortable in who we are or the role we play or the job we hold. But as this started, I was very comfortable with the role I was playing and I was confident in myself that I could sell them and make them believe that I was someone of value in the criminal world. And like I said, I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't have an overwhelming level of knowledge into the protocols or into that culture or how that uh, element of the criminal community works. But I was confident that I could learn it. I was comfortable that I could sell them that I was someone they needed to be associated with. Um, I, I, I created a situation where they came to me. They began to hunt me versus me hunting them. So, interesting. That's a way to, uh, that's a great point of view from, from that angle that they came to you, you know, and then, uh, and that's great. I mean, you're basically switching a lot of hats around here. I mean, when you went, when you were involved and you were deep cover, I mean, how many times did you have to use your mindset and your warrior spirit to get you out of shit? I mean, I could imagine it was numerous times. Well, you know, I'll tell you a little story. Um, I got hired on a Monday in 1987. Four days later, on a Thursday, I was taken hostage. I got shot. Uh, the suspect shot me in the back. The bullet went in my back between my shoulder blade and my spine. It traveled through my lung and it exited my chest. Four days on the job. I was bleeding to death in a trailer park. I was laying in the dirt. I was laying in the garbage. There was a rusted out swing set over me. I'm looking back at a single wide with cinder block steps up to it. And blood was coming out of my chest like you're holding your thumb over a garden hose. Um, I'll tell you, I, I am not smart enough. I'm not intelligent enough or don't have a big enough vocabulary to describe what it feels like 
where you can, your, your wound is so severe that you can hear the blood coming out of it. That's how uh, aggressively I was bleeding. And, you know, like with the feds, we get paid every two weeks. I hadn't even gotten a paycheck yet. That was on the house. I come from that one. You know, and personally, I never chased a dollar in my life. I grew up in a lower middle class household. My dad spent his entire life in the construction business, pounding nails. My mom mopped out people's toilets who didn't want to do it for themselves. And I, I, I was never interested in chasing the dollar because my folks never did. And they were my idols and they were who I looked up to. Um, they were all about hard work and, and nothing, you're owed nothing. The world owes you nothing. The world's not going to be fair to you. And those things I learned as a kid were like all brought right into that very moment in time, which was, hey man, you can lay here and die and bleed out in the dirt, or you can get up and you can fight back and you can resist and you can get in the game because no one's going to help you. There's no one coming to hold your hand. No one's going to save you. You have to save yourself right now. Um, I got to the hospital. I was in you know, the recovery phase and all the ambulance chasing attorneys were knocking on my hospital door. Basically saying, hey kid, you know what a million dollars looks like? No, I had no idea what a million dollars looks like. You know what five million dollars looks like? No. I can get that for you. Let me sue the government on your behalf. You were placed in a situation that you were not yet trained for, you were not yet prepared for. The government has a huge liability here. I can make you a millionaire. I can make you rich. You're 26 years old. You'll never have to work another day in your life. If you're smart with the money I get you, your kids and their kids will be set up forever. Let me do that for you. And all I could think was get out of my room. I didn't want the money. It wasn't important to me. I didn't know what that was. All I wanted to do was get well, get healthy, and get back in the fight. I wanted to go toe-to-toe with violent crime in America. I wanted to handle America's business. I wanted to be the guy that stood in the path of predators on behalf of good and innocent people who either couldn't or wouldn't do that for themselves. That's what I wanted. I didn't want the money. Right there, brother, right there, man. You're a sheepdog, you're a wolf hunter, and you carry that warrior spirit with you wherever you go. I'm all about that. I mean, no laying down. I mean, you basically gave up that million bucks. I would have done the same thing, man. I got that wolf hunter blood running through my veins, and I use it every single fucking day. And I'm proud of that, man. I love that. So talk to me a little bit more. Well, you don't look at it this way. Like, you look at the, our men and women in uniform, in the law enforcement community, in the military community, who are out there uh, sacrificing, risking their lives, on behalf of people who they'll never know, they'll never meet, who many of them don't appreciate what they're doing, right? We choose to do that. Every person I've met in law in the law enforcement world, every person I've met in the military could have made a selfish decision for themselves and chosen another career path and made more money, had more money in the bank, had a bigger house, a better car, easier time putting their kids to school, better vacations, more security and retirement, right? They chose to take a stand for reasons other than that, for a greater good. Um, and that's why I love our community. That's why I love the, you know, the people that we're talking to in your audience is that it, there, there's no silver uh, uh, crystal ball to predict or to tell you like what you're doing how it's impacting people. You're not gonna get a handshake every day. No one's gonna say thank you. You're not gonna get a trophy for what you do. Most people are gonna dislike you for what you do. And every morning, the alarm clock goes off and those people put their feet on the ground and they go to work and risk their lives and leave their families on behalf of people who don't appreciate it and they go anyways. That's right. 
Very well said. Hey guys, a quick time out to remind you to get your free manual, Eight Steps to Living a Warrior Life at manofwar.live forward slash guide. Also, stop by warriorbreed.co and check out our brand new warrior development program engineered for entrepreneurs and warrior-minded men just like you. Now back to the show. So let me ask you something. The mindset and the fortitude that you had specifically showing after four days of work here where you got shot, I mean, that mindset, did that carry with you, that development? Because you had to gain a tremendous amount of fortitude from that. Did that carry with you for the rest of your 27 years? Well, it did. You know, it actually started before that. Like, when I was a kid, my dad's message to me and my dad was my idol was that if you don't fight back, if you don't get up when you get knocked down, if you roll over, you will be a victim for the rest of your life. Never let anybody stand over you and celebrate that they knocked you down. Find a way to your feet. Find a way to fight back. Stay in the game. The world owes you nothing. Nothing is fair. Don't expect it to be fair. If you do, you've already set yourself up for failure. Go make your own way, and you do that by just persevering, overcoming everything that's thrown in your path, and keep focused on what you want, where you want to go, how you want to get there. And don't let anything deter you because everyone's going to stand in your way. You're going to constantly cross paths with people who tell you you can't do something or you're not good enough to do something or something in front of you is impossible. If you listen to that, you're defeated before you even try. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, just right now, uh, I just got back from deployment from Hurricane Irma. And uh, you go out there and you see society and it's and it's i hate to say it but it's sad unfortunately you have such for lack of a better word weaklings these men and women at many times that are out there causing chaos and taking water and taking food like if the earth is going to be you know not around tomorrow and situations like that where you're looking at these selfish pricks you know it just i can't make i can't even talk about that because i'm i'm i get so in depth with this the bottom line is jay where i'm going with this is men like you men like myself men like our listeners that have that warrior mindset that's what separates the sheepdog from the sheep and, you know, I'm having you on the show to, to let these men know that, look, you got a guy here. He's been around for 27 years undercover in the ATF, and he's still kicking ass right now. How old are you, Jay? I'm 56. 56 years old, and he's still kicking ass. Writing books, and I guarantee you that his mindset is exactly the same that he had the 27 years in the ATF. So it can be done. It's just a matter of you wanting to step up to that next level. Jay, so let's go into, give me a time that you were undercover where you really had to say, you know what, I need to step up here and adapt and overcome. So in other words, in other words, you had to pull something out of your ass that you had to just get it and move forward with it and win out. Well, I think there's many examples of events where an assignment or the circumstances created by an event put you in a perilous situation. And ultimately, it's a test of your courage, maybe. I don't, I, don't, I don't view myself as an overly courageous person. I don't view myself as an overly brave person. Um, I know many people that are more courageous, uh, more resilient, braver than me. Um, but those situations, whether they be professional, whether they be out on the street as a cop, whether they be out in the field as a, as a member of our military, whether they be in business, with a challenge put in front of you, whether they be in families or relationships, nothing's ever easy. Everything's always a challenge. If it was easy, anybody could do it and everybody would be successful. That's not the case. 
the people that find a way to figure things out. I, I think what make any of us good as cops, as soldiers, as leaders of families, as leaders of businesses, is the people that are really good at what they do, they're problem solvers. You're constantly through life confronted with problems. Does that problem make you fold up? Do you quit? Do you feel like you're defeated? Or do you find a way to get through it? Where the people that are great solve problems. That's great. I mean, uh, problem solvers, I mean, that is the key. I think that... Uh, you can throw a puzzle at someone and if they can, especially under stress, you know, you problem solve under stress when the shit hits the fan and you're able to actually make it out of a dire situation. That is uh, key for me. So do you think that the mindset that you use, that you go out there and, uh, you know, you speak about and, and, and you kind of disseminate it to individuals, do you think that can be carried out to men that are business owners, men that are in different fields than the protection fields like law enforcement and the military. Do you think that that type of mindset can be carried down to them? Absolutely. I, I take my personal experiences when I talk to groups, when I talk to civic groups, when I talk to corporate groups, I take my experiences uh, first as an athlete, uh, then as a federal agent. I take them and I translate them into their world. Um, you know, the environment that we're operating in may be different. But the mentality, the mindset, the, 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 the mindset, um, all those character traits that make anybody successful, they're universal. It's just the world or the environment that you're applying them to. All right, so what's the name of your new book? I wanted to get the name so I can pick it up and also so our listeners have it so they can buy a copy also. Uh, the book that I just released is called Catching Hell. And it is a sequel to the bestseller, No Angel. And what it does, No Angel was, in essence, a case study. It told uh, the story of a two-year window of my life where I was working to infiltrate the Hells Angels. Catching Hell tells the story that led up to that infiltration and then tells the story of things that happened after that case ended. Interesting. And what made you step up and write this um, second book did you feel that it the first book wasn't quite finished or you wanted to expand on it I'll tell you it's, it's very simple when I decided to write my second book I wrote it for one reason and one reason only I wrote it for my kids if, if I published that book if I had two copies of it and one went to my daughter and one went to my son I would have satisfied myself. Um, if I if I printed off a paper copy of it and gave it to them, I would have satisfied myself. What I wanted to do is create a record, an honest record of who I am, how I became this person for my kids. And I, I think people that read it, I think people you know that don't know me, that aren't familiar with me, they see no angel, they think it's a hero story. They see Catching Hell, they think it's going to be a glory story, an I Love You story. Neither book is, um, especially Catching Hell. Um, man, it's a hard story. It's not easy to read. It's not flattering. Um, I discuss a lot of my personality flaws, my shortcomings, um, my character failures. But I wanted to have an accurate record of who I was for my kids so they could maybe help understand who they are um, like maybe through a better understanding of how I became this person and then hopefully a better understanding of who they are and and why they are the way they are interesting have you used your mindset being a parent parenting your kids oh oh my goodness um, you know, from the time they were babies, when you're trying to instill, you know, the, the elements of life into your kids to help them be successful, up to, you know, my kids are, are growing out of the house. You know, I have a 26-year-old daughter and a 22-year-old son. I still worry about them every day. I'm still trying to guide them every day. Um, and I still 
don't have a single night where I don't lay my head on the pillow and think about the things that I said or did that day and have regrets over what I should have or said or done better. How did you handle being undercover and, you know, being a father at the same time? I mean, I'm sure it took a toll on you. Uh, to be quite honest, um, I wasn't very good at it. Um, I became so focused in my role, in my assignment, that ultimately uh, I, I regret saying, it's humiliating to say, it's embarrassing to say, but I abandoned my family for my assignment. And that's one of the things I talk about is that you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that to be good or great at our job. I became so consumed in what I was doing. My ego became so big. I became so self-important in my hero syndrome that while I felt like I was out there protecting and defending society and the world, my own family was crashing around me. And I did a very poor job of seeing that or acknowledging it or recognizing it. And man, I created a huge amount of battle damage in my personal life. Do you see that with agents all over that get placed in undercover assignments or not even, I mean, guys that have been working for 15, 20 years, I get so caught up with the job that their family becomes secondary. Do you see that often? Well, you know, here is, here's my mistake. Here's what I did wrong is that my undercover assignment and what I felt like I was doing for the world evolved from what I did to who I was. It, it, I became something other than what I wanted to be. Um, I became so consumed in my role and in this uh, uh, self-assigned hero syndrome that it trumped everything else. Uh, it became more important than my kids. It became more important than my wife. Um, and then I, I let them down. I, I ultimately betrayed my kids, betrayed my wife, betrayed my family in exchange for a stronger desire to be out there operating in the criminal element. Um, and I had brainwashed myself into believing that their role in this big picture was to support me at all costs. That that's what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to have my back while I was, uh, in my own mind, out there saving the world. And you know what? They didn't sign on for that. They didn't sign on for, for sure. Dad to be a super cop or be Donnie Brasco part two. That wasn't part of it. That's right. They wanted a dad to come home, ride bikes, uh, read a book, go to the movies, go swimming, play catch. Um, that's what they wanted. And I failed to be that person for them. And I'm, you know, uh, I'm, I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed that I failed in that way. Well, I mean, I, I can basically go that same route and, and, and hear you loud and clear. I mean, at times you realize that, you know, your family, I mean, you go out there and you're this, you know, guy that's fighting evil day in, day out, and you're so caught up on the case and so caught up on the assignment and the operation, and, and you, you know, your family just becomes secondary, and you realize that, you know, your, your kids, I mean, in the end, they could give a shit less what you do. They just want you to be a dad. They want you to come home to them, and like you said, play with them, spend time with them, and, and be their dad. And I admire you from for stepping up and, and just opening yourself, opening your heart up like this and being 100% legit. And, hey, you know, I fucked up. But the key here is how did you transform yourself and get back on the horse again to be a better man? Well, I'll tell you a story, right? A very uh, not a flattering story. During the Hells Angels, uh, infiltration. I would spend the least amount of time necessary at home and with my family that I had to. I All I did was maintain the home front. I'd come home off, uh, off of 
a, a period of time with the suspects, mow the grass, pay the bills, pat the kids on the head, have a cup of coffee with the old lady. And I couldn't wait to get back in the mix. I couldn't wait to get back in the criminal element because when I wasn't there, I felt like there was something happening, something being said that I needed to be a witness to, to help build a stronger case. So I would make these trips home, spend as little amount of time with my family as I needed to, and then I was back to work. I couldn't wait to get back in the action. And every time I'd come home, my son, who was eight years old at the time, plus or minus, when I'd get ready to leave, he'd run out in the yard and grab a rock out of the yard. I'd be getting ready to leave, Dad, don't leave yet, and he'd hand me a rock. And for years, years and years, I believed that he had been giving me good luck rocks. And I kept them, I had them in my pocket, I had them in my undercover wallet, the saddlebags, my motorcycle, my undercover car, my undercover house. I was passing them out to my partners, saying, we have all this violence around us. We have all these people dying around us. And here we are, we're thriving, we're surviving. There's something about Jackie's rocks. I don't know what this kid's touch is, but keep this with you. There's a blessing on these, they're good luck. Right before the case ended, it was my last trip home, I'm getting ready to leave. My son continues the routine, runs out in the yard, dad don't leave yet, and he gives me a rock. I collected these rocks from him for years, and I was trying to comfort him, I was a 40 plus year old man, trying to comfort my eight year old son. And I said, dude, I'm almost done. All these good luck rocks you give to others, they work. They've kept me alive. They've kept me safe. And there's a little boy standing on my driveway with a pair of shorts on and no shirt and no shoes. And his eyes start to well up. And he said, Daddy, he said, those aren't for good luck. And my brain froze. For years, I believed that he'd been giving me these good luck rocks. And I'm looking at him. And he said, Dad, he said, those rocks are for you to put in your pocket. And every time you think someone is going to hurt you or shoot you or stab you, you can put your hand in there and touch that rock. And that's like me being there to help you. Wow. It was the worst moment of my life. Hmm. Because it, here I was, man, I thought I was it. Man. I thought I was so damn important. And it took an eight-year-old boy to teach his 40-year-old father what my job was. My job wasn't to go infiltrate the Hells Angels. My job wasn't to be the best undercover operator of all time or the super cop. My job was to raise good kids, and I had failed them. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's uh, very inspiring, no doubt about it. So, I mean, at what point in your life did you say, hey, um, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm just, that's it. I'm going to be a dad, even though I'm going to still work, I'm going to be a dad. Did it take you some time to get back in the thick of things with the family or were you just one day to another cold Turkey? You went from A to Z and decided to be a dad. I'll tell you what, I would love to take credit for it. I would love to like say, I opened my eyes and I realized my errors and my flaws and my mistakes and I set the record right. The truth is, is that ultimately my identity was exposed in the criminal community, my true identity. Death and violence threats started to stack up. Um, I mean, at one point I had uh, murder contracts held against me by three international crime centers. The Hells Angels held the contract. They had shot it to the Aryan Brotherhood, and they had shot it to the MS-13. They were all holding murder contracts. There were threats out there uh, to locate my kids and kidnap and torture my kids. There were threats to uh, videotape the gang rape of my wife. All of this came home, right? It was all right in front of me. And you know what? I was still trying to push forward. Ultimately, I was removed from those assignments. I'd love to say that I stepped out and saw the light and saw the error in my ways. I didn't. It was taken away from me. The thing that I loved the most, which was out there operating, was forcibly taken away from me. 
They said, you don't get to do this anymore. And then after stepping back and clearing my head and looking at the catastrophe I created of my life, the napalm strike I put on all the people who cared about me or loved me, only then was I able to say, man, you know what? You have no one to blame, dude. You have no excuse. Every bad thing happening to you, to you in your life, you did to yourself. That's uh. You couldn't have said it better. I mean, that's uh, you know when it gets taken away from you, and uh, you're like, this is this is my life. This is my life. But you know what? It was meant to be. It was meant to be because I'm sure that at that time you started to really reflect on what was important in your life. I and, could have uh, never stepped out of it myself. Yeah. I could have never cut that off myself. You know what? The the undercover game, doing what I did for a living, and it was my heroin. I was addicted to it. I needed it, man. I needed to mainline that every day. I could never have beat that addiction, beat that habit. Someone had to intervene and take it away from me. And only then did I realize and look back and say, man, you made a lot of mistakes, dude. You did a lot of things wrong. So tell me, what inspires and motivates you nowadays? Um, a couple things. Um, I coach high school football. Um, I, I, I played uh, football in college. I had a very successful college career. I was an all-Pacific 10 uh, wide receiver in my college days. Um, I don't think I'm necessarily a great football coach. I'm not even sure I'm necessarily a good football coach. But I love being around the kids. I love being around the boys and pushing them and challenging them and trying to teach them, you know, the techniques of the game, but even more importantly, trying to teach them how to fight back, how to overcome, how to persevere, what hard work means, how hard work ultimately pays off for you, if not on the short term, on the long term. I love that. Um, I'm involved in a couple organizations that uh, support the mental and emotional health of first responders and soldiers. Um, from my own personal experience, the world, our families, our friends, um, the public doesn't understand the PTSD and the mental and emotional drama and trauma we go through based on the life we chose and the things we do and the things we see and the things we hear. And, um, you know, I've, I, like, I, I've always suffered with depression and I hid that and I was embarrassed by that for a long time. And I tried to medicate my way through it for a long time. And I tried to hide it and deny it for a long time. And finally, when I found the courage to admit it and to be open about it, I was like, man, you know what? If I can talk about this, maybe other people can talk about it. Maybe other people in my profession can say, man, you know, if that cat had it, if he's dealing with it, man, it's okay. And I can talk about it and I can acknowledge it too. I got past the stigma of it. And I'm, so I try to help other people in our profession who are struggling with the things that happen to us and what it creates in our lives and in our own heads and show them, man, you're not by yourself. You're not alone. You're not the only person that feels this way. Maybe you're even supposed to feel this way, but there's solutions. There's ways to fix it. There's ways to overcome it. So don't give up. Maintain your hope. Keep fighting back. Let me help you. Let me show you. Let me take you where you need to go to be able to live a happy, full, productive life and be the person that, that you want to be or that you expect yourself to be. So, Jay, what are the uh, names of these uh, organizations that you're talking about? Um, one of them is Safe Call Now, which is an anonymous hotline for uh, first responders who are feeling uh, suicidal, who are uh, in the middle of addictions, who are in the middle of alcoholism, who want help, need help, that don't know where to go get it. Um, there's another element uh, of that group called um, uh, the uh, um, 
Wellness for uh, First Responders. It's an institute that places uh, lawmen and women in treatment to help them. Uh, the Peak One organization helps diagnose those symptoms. And it's, you know, like we've ultimately come to the point in our world and to society where we realize we have to take care of the people who take care of us. We can't ignore them. Um, the suicide rate in the first in the first responder community yes, it is. is enormous because because people in our profession become overwhelmed. Everybody looks to them to solve the problems. Everybody looks to them to fix things. And when they're breaking down and when they're train wrecking, they think it's all on them to solve. And sometimes they have no solution. And so they solve it in a very tragic way. They make that they take uh, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And we're trying to intervene on that. I agree. I think uh, the PTSD for specifically for law enforcement, uh, you know, it, it's something that needs to continue growing. There is a pretty strong movement now, just recently, but um, I've seen, I've had too many guys that I know, you know, basically take their lives. And, uh, I mean, it's a tough world out there. I mean, things that, you know, you see out there, it's not the common. I mean, we're dealing with bad guys all day long, the worst of people. You're, you know, you're in critical incidents. You know, it, it, it's a tough, tough world. And uh, I really, you know, I agree with what you're doing, you know, working with these organizations. I think uh, men like you should step up and certainly, you know, back these organizations. Because I think, I think over the next few years, we can make a pretty good impact in uh, showing that PTSD is not only for the military guys, but it is out there for first responders. And it's a problem, an ongoing problem. Well, I'll tell you this, and I'll throw this out there. Anybody out there in the audience who's feeling that way, who's overwhelmed, who is uh, feels like they're being destroyed by themselves, what they've seen, what they've done, what they've heard through our profession, you're not by yourself. Reach out to me. You don't have to give me your name. You don't have to give me your phone number. Um, send me a message, jay at jaydobbins.com. I can put you in touch with people who want to help you who can do it anonymously. Um, you, you're, you're not without hope. And we all know those people. If we ourselves are not the victim of that, we know someone who is. We know someone who is suffering. So help yourself, help your partner, help your friend. Um, get past the stigma or what you think the stigma is of it. And, and help, let others help you be well and get well. Way to step up, brother. Way to step up. I mean, we really appreciate that, especially in a community right now where it is 100% different than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, the stress that a police officer goes through now, any law enforcement agent, it, it's big time, man. It, there, there's so much out there, so many variables. It's, uh, it's kind of mind-boggling. Well, our profession brainwashes us into believing that we're supposed to do nothing but absorb that, take it in, handle it, deal with it. You know, you got people that are saying, hey, man, that's part of the job. You took a badge and a gun for a living. That is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to just hang on to all that stuff and somehow let it process out on its own and continue to be healthy and happy. Now, granted, in this profession, if you are not prepared to have violence used against you, if you are not prepared to encounter people who intend to incapacitate you or to kill you in the most violent way, and if you're not prepared to use an equal or greater amount of violence to put that situation down, it's a good time to go find another job, man. Go sell used cars, go sell insurance, go back to school, teach school, um, there's thousands of honorable ways to make a living. But if you're not mentally and emotionally and physically prepared to deal with those situations, man, do yourself, 
do your family a favor and go find another way to make a living because there's plenty of honorable ways to do it. But in that process, when you become overwhelmed by that world, don't feel like you're alone. You're not without hope. There's people out there that care about you and want to help you. Awesome. All right, so we talked about the darkness, you know, the darkness in your life at certain points. What have been your biggest successes? My biggest successes? You know, I'm really hard on myself. It's really, I struggle to satisfy myself. I struggle, I'm just, it's a personality trait, whether it be good or bad, I think there's times when it's served me well, I think there's times when it's betrayed me. I find it really hard to be pleased with what I've done or what I've accomplished. I'm, 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 you know, other people will say, oh, this is tremendous, or this was great, and I don't look at it that way. I, there's very few events, circumstances, uh, situations in my life where I ever reach my personal goals. Um, my kids, in spite of the drama and trauma I've, I've put in their life, now I, now I have good kids. They have good hearts. They're, uh, they're kind and they're productive and they're strong and they're resilient and they, they have that fighter spirit that they have a good heart in doing it. Um, and ultimately, I think for any of us, regardless of what our job is, especially in the law enforcement community, the biggest and best thing that any of us can ever do, our greatest contribution to mankind is to produce good kids because it's self-perpetuating because our kids will produce good kids and those kids will produce good kids. And ultimately, that's how societies survive is good overwhelms the evil. Amen, brother. Amen. Very well stated. All right, so we have a few minutes left. I want to go into a couple things here. Give us a glimpse of your daily routine. How does a warrior like yourself get out of your bed, put your two feet on the ground, and go forward? Well, like, I, like I'm, I, I'm not a hero, right? But I try to have a positive impact on someone every day. I try to say something or do something for someone every day. And if you, any of us, me, the listeners out there, Rafa, if you can give something to someone and not expect anything in return, if you can just do it because it's the right thing to do without your handout, without expecting a pay, without expecting a payback, without expecting reciprocation, if you can just give something to someone, knowing it'll never come back to you, ultimately when it comes back, it comes back times a thousand. And it may not come back from the person that you help. It may not be come, it may not come back from the person that you're talking to. It may come from a completely different direction, something that was unexpected. But that's what I try to do. I try to get up and either by design or by the circumstances of the day, try to do something for someone that will either empower them, strengthen them, inspire them, encourage them. And it's different every day. It's never the same. I can't predict what it's going to be or how it's going to come about, but that's my goal. That's what I set out to try to do. That's awesome. Very inspiring. I mean, this is... Uh... Uh, you can tell that you're speaking from the heart and you're speaking from within, man, and that's uh, very powerful stuff. So for our audience here, all right, just uh, what do you do to stay on top of your game? I mean, do you do physical fitness? Do you go out there, walk? Do you, um, you know, listen to music? Give us something, a little bit of an insight that's specific to you that makes you better. Well, I um, try to involve myself in physical activity every day. Um, I go to the gym and lift weights, I run, I walk, I hike, and uh, not because I'm a physical fitness freak. Um, I still like peanut M&Ms. I like ice cream, <laughs> right? I like chocolate chip cookies, right? Yeah, I'm not, brother. <laughs> um, I'm, not a, I'm not a guy, and there's nothing wrong with this. I'm not a food prep guy who has, you know, a week's worth of uh, fish fillets because that's all I can eat. 
but I do it because um, even off the job, right, let alone on the job, even off the job, the threat of being encountered by someone bigger and stronger um, and having to do something about a bad situation is real for us. Um, in this profession, and even off the profession, we don't have the option to turn our back to it. Other people in society can say, oh man, there's something bad happening over there and I don't like it, but I'm not going to do anything about it. We don't have that option. We have to do something about it. We have to move forward towards the danger while everybody else is running away. And I look at myself, if I'm not physically prepared to fight back and fight as long and as hard as I can, man, I'm not giving myself a fair chance. I'm not, I'm not doing everything I can to prepare for that situation. I don't want that situation. I'm not looking for it, um, but if and when it comes, back to earlier in the conversation, I want to be comfortable and confident that I can do my best to put an end to it. Awesome. What is your definition of a modern-day warrior, Jay? Yeah, a modern-day warrior, like to our audience, we look at it very stereotypical. How about this? How about a single mother out there who has three kids, who has to work two jobs, um, who's trying to raise good kids, trying to keep them out of trouble, trying to support a family. How about that as a modern day hero? How about, um, how about our teachers? I love teachers. I've had teachers throughout my life impact me. You know, we, we ask our teachers to take our kids in. And not only educate them, not the ABCs and the one, two, threes, well beyond that, socialize them, teach them etiquette, teach them to get along. Um, we ask those teachers to check lockers for drugs, to check heads for lice, to monitor t-shirts and monitor clothing. And then in our public schools, we don't let them pray. We don't let them say the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, we don't let them sing the Star Spangled Banner. We give them a piece of chalk. And then we underpay them and we say, now go raise our kids. <laughs> yeah, really? Yes. Really? We're going to turn our, we're going to turn our kids over to a teacher, not give you much money to do it. Tell you to fix every single thing that's wrong about them. And then not a, that to me, those people are modern day heroes. There you go. Well stated. What advice can you give our listeners that want to live a warrior life like you? I, I think it's very simple for me. Um, I think we already do it. I think that those of us who have chosen to take a badge and a gun for a living already do this. It's putting others before yourself. It's so simple, right? It's what we do in this job. If you were putting yourself before others, you would have picked another way to make a living. You've already chosen by signing up for this job, by going through your academies, by going out and working. You've already chosen to put other people in front of you. Um, you've already chosen to serve a greater good. You've already made the decision to take care of people or try to who can't or won't take care of themselves and stand in the path of the predators who want to take advantage of them. Um, so that for me, that is my goal. And you know what? I don't always succeed. I probably fail more days than I succeed. But I know what I want to be. I know who I try to be. Um, in a perfect world, ideally, I know who I would like to be. And I, I fail at it every dang day. So basically, you just keep at it. Internal fortitude and perseverance. That's the way to go. Jay, where can people reach you? And also tell me about your books and where we can get them. Um, I'm easy to find. J at jdobbins.com, D-O-B-Y-N-S. Um, I have a uh, website, jdobbins.com. There's links uh, to both my books, to No Angel, uh, to Catching Hell. There's some other links there at the website that talk about some of my public speaking and some of the other things I do. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not hard to find. Um, I don't 
overly promote myself. I don't put myself out there. I don't try to force myself down anybody's throat, but I'm not hard to find. Got it. Your books, we can get them at Amazon? Uh, no Angel, you can get on Amazon. Uh, Catching Hell, you can get the Kindle version at Amazon. But for Catching Hell, um, right now, the hard copy is only available through the publisher, and the link to that publisher's order site is at my website, which is jdobbins.com. All right, for our listeners, I'm going to put this on the show notes. I'm going to put all the links to his books and the link to his website um, on our show notes. Jay, man, what can I tell you, bro? You are an unbelievable person. You speak from the heart, and uh, you are a true warrior in my book. And it's been an honor sharing a nice conversation with you here. And more importantly, I want my listeners to get a feel for who you are, to get a feel for exactly what you've been through. But more importantly, to know that there are people like yourself out there that walk in this planet, that walk the warrior's path. Very kind. Uh, much love to your audience out there and to all the people out there that are doing what we do. Um, and you make the world turn. So if no one else appreciates you, if no one else loves you, know that I do. All right, brother. Stay safe, my man. Well, there you have it. A very deep conversation with some awesome lessons learned. Remember, it takes action in your part to make it happen. Check us out on social media, Man of War Podcast. And last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review and share it with other warrior-minded men. That is how we will continue to grow this brotherhood. Until next time, remember, your life may be challenging and full of dangers, but never retreat. Your last battle may be your greatest victory.